0: Make it all about you in the beginning. Because people want to know your story. They want to know how you got it. They want to be able to relate to you. They want to get behind you in some way. You represent what your client wants to become. They become passionate about that. It's about them saying, if Carl can do it, I can do it. If Pia can do it, I can do it. You know what? I'm scared shitless, but it sounds like she was too and she figured it out. I'm going to hitch my wagon to her, at least for now. Once we get going, we'll see where it goes.
1: This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind-the-scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. Today, I'm bringing on a serious badass in the coaching and consulting world, badass business owner, Carl Gould. Now, it seems like everyone and their mother is a business coach these days. Well, Carl is going to put us all to shame. First, he was an entrepreneur and he built three multi-million dollar businesses by the age of 40. Then he started and launched what is now a super successful business advisory and coaching advisory company called Seven Stage Advisors, which has mentored the launch of over five thousand businesses and has trained, certified, and accredited over 7,000 business coaches and mentors since 2002. He's written nine books, plus co-authored many more, including Blueprint for Success with Ken Blanchard and, wait for it, Stephen Covey. Oh my God, my hero. Um, He's also spoken at Tony Robbins' Unleash the Power Within seminar for three years, and he ran the New York City Marathon twice plus a bazillion other things and really we can't take this whole episode to talk about all the things that Carl Gould has done because it's pretty amazing and he's going to share a lot of them in this episode plus he's just a really cool laid back guy with a lot of great war stories and I am so excited for him to share them with you so buckle up here we go welcome to the show Carl Gould great to have you here
0: well thanks for having me back I appreciate it
1: yeah um So, Carl, the first time I met you was actually when you were speaking at EO Accelerator,
0: I think. That's right. In New York, like
1: six, seven years ago. So long ago. And you told this great story, um, which is just in and of itself is, is powerful because the story is really what I remember. And that's why you guys get to tell good stories. Good stories are great. Um, about, I want to say a testing company and obnoxious offers. And that's all I remember. I mean, I, I remember more details. I'm gonna ask you to tell that story right now, by the way. Um, but it stuck with me. It was so powerful. It used great language. The story was illustrated stuff. And then I ended up writing about it in Forbes later and I, it's like i gotta i gotta tell people this <laughs> this that story, story. Yeah. um and then we've just been in touch ever since so tell us this story because this is kind of how i met you
0: <laughs> so the 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 kind of the genesis of the obnoxious offer was when i when i first got into business i was not intending to go into a contracting company as a matter of fact i was going to college for accounting and finance but i broke my leg pretty badly and i was drive i was paying my way through school and so i had to leave school i couldn't go back right away so a bit of a bummer and I needed to make money. All and all of a sudden, all the loans I took out to go to school came due, so I started a landscaping company. And the ver- the first year that I'm in business, all I kept hearing were complaints. Like, I would show up to give a proposal on something, and on a project, and all I, you know, either whether it was the owner of the home, or the building, or the development company, they would just start yelling they'd be like what's up with you people why don't you come on time you never phone you never call back you're not responsive and i would say well listen sir i'll tell my competitors how to do their job better but i'm the guy that's here like would you like to talk about the actual job or do you want to keep venting your frustration right and so what did i know i was 18 years old i didn't i didn't i didn't get really what was going on and so that whole fall i started my business in uh, august of uh, of that year And in New Jersey, you know, landscaping is a short season. Hits Thanksgiving, ground's frozen, you're done. And so for those next few months, I kept hearing all of these complaints. The next year, I said, all right, there's something here. Everyone is saying the same thing. So I took the top five complaints and I created a second level of service. So if somebody came to me and said, here's the work that I want done, I would call that the standard, like the standard scope of work. And then I created something called the guarantee and the top five complaints that I got were start time, finish time, you know, contractor driven change orders. So every service company knows you tell them one price. Then you say, oh, while we're here, why don't we do this? Why don't we, you know, uh, so contractor driven change orders, which would raise the price and extend the job. There was no guarantee, you know, nobody guaranteed or stood behind their work. And, you know, clients were frustrated that they had to manage all the contractors on the site so I guaranteed those five things wouldn't happen and if you met my criteria you had to pay on time you had to make all your choices on time free access to the facility if if you legit did what you were supposed to do on your checklist and I failed on any one of the five you got to keep the entire landscaping project and I wrote you a check back for the full amount at the end and my average sale at the time was fifty thousand dollars and But I put a 35% premium on that same project, so I would start on a certain day, no matter what. And if it poured, if it was a downpour for two weeks straight, we worked in the rain every single day, no excuses, we were done. And um, and so we had people at first were like, what? You want to charge me all this extra? And I said, if you want to cut the line and get in front, I'll do it. But that means I'm working weekends, I'm working nights, i got to bring on extra guys. There's extra cost so but I'll be done I'll start and I'll finish on time and so fast forward so it became my top seller but I sent, I sent this I made the mistake I'll never do it again a friend of mine said hey listen that that guarantee thing you do a buddy of mine's in in the trouble with one of his buildings can you do that for him and I'm like absolutely uh bill I'll I'll do it for you. any friend of yours friend of mine so I thought we were kind of like doing this friend thing where they kind of understood what I did. They understood there'd be a premium. Well, mistake. I, e- I sent over the proposal prior to getting there. So the guy saw all the numbers. I walk in thinking like, hey, this will be easy. You know, I'm going to just present my proposal and, and uh, everything will be fine. The guy was livid, threw a fit. He, he, and so he screamed at me everything. Because of the price? So he, so he sits down and he goes, he goes <laughs> okay. Carl. You're young, you don't understand how this works. You can't charge these effing prices. He goes, "What's up this?" He says, "You are off the <laughs> reservation high." He said, "You know why I called my friend Bill? The last motherfucker I threw out of here, you were ha- was half of what you're charging." And I said, "I would never, you know, pay this. You are double the amount. What the fuck are you thinking? This isn't how business yeah. works." And he says, "This is obnoxious." He goes, "This is obnoxious. I'm insulted." And I was like, "What?" Like, I I turned around proposals, plans in like 24 hours, unheard of, busy season. And I'm like, well, this isn't going very well. And um, so I'm sitting there and the guy goes, don't move. And he leaves the room. And I'm like, okay, maybe I ought to go. He comes back out after this long lecture with a signed contract. And I demanded a 50% deposit up front if you wanted to do the guarantee. And he walks back in and he's like, all right, now you can start Tuesday. It says right here you can start Tuesday. Is that right? And I was like, "What's happening here?" <laughs> so I take the contract. I'm like, "Oh, legit." He signed it, and I'm like, "Yeah, Tuesday we start." All right. He goes, and then he, then he got into the logistics because I had to have keys to the place. I had to have access. There's a le- you know, there's a point person. You know, we have to set up a design meeting. And he's like, "All right, you're going to get with my facility guy here, and da 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 this, and you're, here's my here's my project manager," and he started just barking out all of the uh, logistics of this. So I, this was, I never forget because this was on a Thursday. So Thursday, the whole weekend, I'm like, was that, did that really happen? I remember I drove right to the bank to put it in the, the check in the bank because I didn't believe it was actually legit and that it would be like canceled and whatever. Sure enough, the, uh, it was all good. And so the whole weekend, I'm like something, I'm, I'm to something. And I said, why did he go through all that and then hire me? And what I realized was he was more mad at himself than me. He got himself into a bad spot with his building and he was under such a time crunch that if somebody didn't start the landscaping on Tuesday, he would not get a progressive payment, a big payment that he needed. So that's why the start date was so important, because people that have a construction loan, they need certain work to start on a certain day, no matter what. So, you know, so I would I would there were times, Pia, I would start jobs where I had to rent jackhammers and jackhammer through the ice to create trenches. (laughs) to make it appear like I was planting trees, you know, so they could bring the bank inspector out. They said, oh, landscaper's here, okay, you cut the check. And then I'd have to be done on a certain day so then, so they can get their next progressive payment. That's what I found out. I tapped into all of these people who, on the commercial side, that were under time pressure for their progressive payments. And then on the residential side, everybody had an event. We're having the wedding in the backyard we we were about to move into our new house. Everybody had Johnny or Janie's something going on. And when they found themselves so far behind, I said, Look, you want to skip the line, skip the line. It's just there's a thirty five percent surcharge, basically. And so I got the reputation as the guy who would get all this stuff done. And so my obnoxious offer outsold everything else two to one. And um and so, you know, right, so, and so good. I I so couldn't good. believe it. Like um, as a matter of fact, I sold my, when I sold my business, I sold it to one of my top competitors. And he actually called me to lunch because he said, he's like, dude, you, we got to talk. And he says to me, he goes, I don't mind losing work to you, but you got to stop cutting your pricing. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm not cutting, you know, that's not the case. And he's like, and then he went through all the jobs that we knew we were both on that I won. And he went through it, and, and by the time the conversation was done and he realized I was, I was getting 30 to 50 percent more than him and winning the jobs he was like and i said i hadn't told him at that point but my i was ready for another surgery this is seven years into my business on my leg and uh, i was thinking of selling the business and i said to him on the spot i said i said look i'll teach you everything you want to know about how i do it but you got to buy the company and he was like what and i said i said yeah i haven't announced it but i am going to sell the company i told him about my leg a whole bit and he's like all right And i said and he's like well and he thought i was kind of playing with him and i said you have two choices after this meeting either you're gonna i'll teach you how to how to do this and you'll take me out of the market or i'll sell it to somebody else and teach them how to kick your ass your call right (laughs) and um and so we had a handshake
1: such a badass (laughs) i love it we
0: had a we had a handshake deal right there and 90 days later he bought the business he was the owner of my company so
1: Oh, my God. That's how the There's, obnoxious
0: offer st- started.
1: The obnoxious offer is so amazing. Uh, there are so many good lessons in that. Let's just recap the, the main pieces. You took all the complaints that everybody has, and we all know them, maybe not specifically in landscaping, but just in, like, construction in general and yep. like, all, all kinds of, you know, everybody has that vibe of that industry. And you put, you increase the price by 35%. I mean, so on a $50,000 project, it's like seventeen. Thousand dollars, seventeen grand, seventeen extra grand, to do what theoretically people who they're hiring should also do. Like, hey, I'm going to start on this day and end on this day. It's just guaranteeing I'm going to do it. It's just being, you know, more principled than your word or you know backing it up. That alone is just so. I love the framing of that, and you know, I mean, it's a, a big part of the premium pricing in general that i sure. um tout which is you know be awesome and you can charge more because a lot people will pay a premium price to to get that they they will pay a premium price because they trust that you're going to deliver in whatever way and not everyone's going to pay it but some people are but it sounds like you also tapped into this other piece which is that there's a lot of people out there looking for this service that had a time crunch do you feel like it could have would have worked without that pressure point
0: um that was the main pressure point but it wasn't yeah. the only one okay. um it was the most effective one and i think it will always be a pressure point because people right. you know respond best to deadlines they often wait not to the last minute but you know if you're gonna have a wedding in your backyard you're not gonna landscape and have it ready two years in advance there's a certain timing that just has to stack up you know sure. and you're not and if you're building a building you're not doing the landscaping first because all the stuff has to happen on the outside. And then it was always myself and the paving company that came in last. So Mm -hmm. we were always on the job site together. We were like, all right, don't put your stuff over here and don't stack your stuff on us, you know? (laughs) And we were always working together. So there's just a sequence to how things happen. So there's always gonna be that. But here's here's the two other things that I tapped into, that I realized Mm -hmm. I tapped into. One, when you, people who like what you do, not only are willing to overpay for your services, they want to overpay for your services because they want to brag that they are your top client mm-hmm. right so think about this and you say oh come on really now think about any of you i don't know do you own a car you live in brooklyn do you even own a car i have a car you've yeah. got a car okay most people if they go out and buy the car they want they tend to put more features in it than they need right i bet your car has air conditioning I Bet your car mm-hmm. has leather seats you you know i know people in the south who have four-wheel drive i'm like what doing with four wheel drive here, right? Who needs a twin turbo anything? Nobody, right? But if you're passionate about something, you work hard to become the best, without any prompting, you work hard to become the best customer of that product or service, um, you know, uh, on your own. So example, if you go to see your favorite band, you don't call up and try to get the shittiest seats, you call up and you try to get the best seats you can you can afford, or that are available. Right. When I I took my daughter to Hannah, Montana years ago. Right. And I was just like, get me in the building. I don't care where we are. Right. But then I went to go see Paul McCartney and you too. I'm like, how close to the stage can we get? Right. So same concert, same person on stage. Right. But I, and no matter what, it's the same music, but I wanted a better seat and I was willing to pay more for it. So what I tapped into was as soon as you start overcharging and that's my goal for every one of my clients. I don't want people paying for your service. I want them overpaying for your service, because what you do is you find the people that are that are passionate about what you do, that value what you do, and they want they want you to work for them. They don't want to work with you, right? Mm. They want you to do it. They want you to do the work. So I found that I tapped into that. So the person that's passionate, but once you and once you uh, with the obnoxious offer, the other thing that I found out was, as soon as somebody overpays, they become a partner in success so for example if somebody just pays for your regular service right pia and you make a mistake it's your problem they're like Pia, what are you Mm going to do about that you f this up you didn't do this you didn't deliver on time what are you going to do but if i'm overpaying for the service and something goes wrong we have a problem now right because Mm -hmm. i'm not going to meet my deadline i'm not going to meet my promise to somebody else so what i'm going to do is i'm going to work with you to pave the way so this can be as successful as an engagement as possible so you're not actually helping your clients by lowering your pricing and you're not actually helping your clients by just making them pay when i say you i mean every every service provider right you what you want to do is you want i suggest everybody i don't care what you sell or how you sell it and i know there's a couple of there's a couple of exceptions like if you own a title company or you know there's certainly highly regulated industries but there's still a way to do the obnoxious offer but you um Uh, When you when you force your you give your clientele the option to overpay take the premium path You will segment your clients and you'll know who your best clients are and you'll know who your partners are right and and they will be the most attentive because they're likely overpaying because there's somewhere in there There's that little bit of distress or feeling like you're the last option or they tried something else and it didn't work so you have their full attention so you're going to tap into the passionate people the committed people you know and you know who doesn't want clients that you know have the money and are well behaved to do the service right but you're but you're getting that highest creme de la creme clientele right out of the gate
1: yes and like we there's a piece of this that we have to mention which is you also had at what 19 did you say
0: I started at 18, but the obnoxious 18. offer okay. was born at 19.
1: Okay, the 19-year-old obnoxious offer. You also had, it. and I. This is. I don't know if this is just a a, a trait, a character trait that one is born with. I kind of have that. I have it too, so I can relate. But I know a lot of people don't have it, which is kind of the the confidence to make an obnoxious offer. Right. and know you're going to deliver, right? Like, I I don't know. Were you Were you a, an athlete? You seem. I mean, how did you? I, was, I,
0: I played, um, I played baseball, basketball, football as a kid. Uh, so yeah, there was a, there was a competitive side to me that, you know, um, the reason why I went into business, honestly, when I got out of school, I went back to the guy I worked for, worked for. And, um, what I realized was he used to send me out on proposals when I was 16 years old. And then he would tell me to go manage the jobs. And I remember walking away from this, like, well, what do I need him for other than the leads? You know, I'm doing everything, but I actually went back to him first and said, you know, do you have do you have any work? And he was like, yeah, come on back. And then I realized he was going to put me in the same thing I, he was doing before. I wasn't going to make any more money. And then I was like, I'm just going to do this myself. No, uh, but I'm
1: asking not even just co- competition like um, and it, I, you can get it from anywhere in your life. But I know for me, I got it from like dancing. There's like certain kinds of training that you have as as you grow up that yeah. that trains you. The, the, not everyone is going to see it's uh, raining and and uh, and frozen. S- Ground and be like, oh, we can figure. You know, let's make right. that happen. Just not everyone's going to do. That. Some people are going to look at it and go, well, we can't start today because there's a an a. A foot of ice on the on the floor. So, you know, I think it's just a certain kind of personality that's going to say, I can make that obnoxious offer because I know that I will show up and deliver whatever it is because I'm not going to be scared by something that might yeah. get in the way. And <clears throat> and some people are not are not like that, but everyone can be like that. And so I, I kind of want to underline that because I think that's really important. If you're going to put yourself out there like that, you also have to have the confidence that you know you can make shit happen.
0: Right. <laughs> Well, here, here's the thing. Um, I, I agree with everything you said. What I The one thing that I would add to that, though, is the very first time anyone does anything, I don't care who you are. I've coached over 100,000 top performers now over 30 years. Oof. You are all scared shitless the first time you do whatever it is you do. And you don't have confidence. And it's not confidence yes. in the beginning. It's like, holy shit, holy shit, holy <laughs> shit. And you need a push some way everybody does i went skydiving i got i i feel like i'm pretty confident guy at this point at the edge of the plane i was if it was just up to me and there (laughs) wasn't a guy strapped to my back throwing me out of the plane not so sure i'm doing it you know yeah but i think the first time there needs to be some leap of faith you have to whatever it is whether you're pushed whether you do it you just need to have the guts to try and i think you just need to take a bet a gamble on yourself the first time. And then that's when you find out that confidence is transferable, right? Mm. So like you said, you were a dancer, confident in dancer as a dancer, mm-hmm. but you, you, were, you didn't come out of the womb like, I'm going to be a content writer someday. I'm yeah. so confident at that. You know, you said, wait, if I could do that, I can do this. But the very first time it's a level playing field. This is the, this is the part I don't think a lot of people get is when when and whenever we do anything for the first time nobody has the advantage you just have to have that's why like so my book this year that's i'm writing a book called the obnoxious offer and the strap line is make the offer no one else in your niche has the guts to make not the confidence to make not the technical ability it's the guts to make it because i remember the first time i i rolled this out to somebody i was like holy shit, 70 i worked a year (laughs) i and I'd never seen seventy five thousand dollars in my life and I might have to write the whole check back. I was like, Holy shit, what am I getting myself into? And um and so I was just like, All right, it's, it's got, you gotta die of something. Let's go. And um and so I just I had the guts to do it the first time, but confidence came later. You know, and then I realized, wait a minute, I did this in sports and I did that in school. And this is kind of like that. And then all of a sudden association came in. This is like that. And this is like that. And this is like that. And I was able to assemble confidence. And then, yes, from there, you know, from there, it builds. Because But I'm building on either either a success or a successful turnaround after a failure, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's such a good point. Yeah, of course. We're all scared shitless. And,
0: and- in the beginning,
1: in the beginning, and but also, um, I mean, you work with CEOs. You work with people who have had, who have already pushed themselves over the cliff many times. They've gotten right. to where they are. Do you find that you are, you're the guy strapped to their back, pushing them out of the, <laughs> out of the plane? No matter how much success they've had, because there's always more.
0: So yeah, that's a good point. I'm I'm the, now I'm now the tandem yeah. <laughs> dive master, but <laughs> well, what I uh, jump master I should say. But yeah, the I, I put CEOs and I put owners in two classifications. Mm-hmm. One, they're trying to make a mark, or two, they're not trying not to screw it up. Okay, and by make a mark meaning you know I want I have a goal I want to do something. Maybe I just want to feed my family. Maybe I want to prove I can be in business by myself. Whatever my mark is, right? And as soon as they, and so they come out of the gate and they haven't made their mark yet. And so we'll help them make their mark. And I I suspect that's what you do a lot in uh, worst of all design as well. You're helping them find their voice, right? Yeah. You're making their mark. But then you'll get the company that has had some success. They're candidly, they're making enough money to have a good enough life, but they know there's more. And they've, they've sat on their calling for a while and now they're getting some external pressure whether it was COVID or whether it was a downturn or whether it was a competitor came in next door and all of a sudden somebody's eating their lunch and they're like, holy shit, I don't want to screw this up. And they realize that the only thing they can't do is stay the same. And so that's when, that's usually the conversation I'll have, some version of that in the beginning. You know, on the outside looking in, great business. Everyone's like, oh my God, you did this. You you write that article, you got that award. One-on-one, it's like, holy shit, dude. That, you know, Armageddon is coming. Right. And so um, so, yeah, so they they had the guts enough to admit it. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll be your I'll be your vicarious confidence for a little bit. <laughs> and we're right. going to we'll, we'll get there so you can see it's transferable. But, you know, I, I think it, it's probably just as much human nature as anything else. But everybody, you know, almost everyone needs a push.
1: Yeah. You know? Right. And, and the farther they go, like they need to get, keep being
0: pushed. Yeah, there is right. the, there, There's no end. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So if you think about it, you're you, you only will perform to the definition of yourself or your how you define or what your identity is. If um like, right, you're you when you were badass, you were badass. And you're like, ah, I, I've done that now. I'm, mm-hmm. Now I'm the boss. Right. Mm-hmm. So you became 100 percent badass. But then as boss, I'm like, well, I'm 80 percent now. I'm not sure how <laughs> boss I am. I got to build out the boss. And then when you're boss, then you're going to be diva, queen, goddess, whatever, right? That's the next right. level, right? But as soon as you get to kind of the edge of your comfort zone, that's when, that's when it's time to redefine, recalibrate your goals. And it's the job of a CEO to push that limit constantly. Mm. You have to live in, in um, uh, rock climbing. They say that if you're, not on the, if you're not on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And so, yeah. So that's that's what a CEO, that's their life. You're, you know, I went rock climbing one time and, um, when I, when I first did this thing, I look at the rock and it looked like a sheet of ice. I'm like, fuck am I getting up this thing? And the guy said to me, he goes, look for any ledge that's the size of a dime. And then all of (laughs) a sudden the the rock changed and then it looked like a ladder. I mean a ladder of little dimes. And then I was like, Holy cow. Now I see how I can go. And so I'm like, that's it. He goes, yeah. He goes big toe, big toe, fingers, look for dimes, crawl up the rock. And I was like, and then I, I'm going up the rock. And I was like, holy crap, that's, and, and I realized that as, as, as once I knew what to, what to grab onto and where to go, I'm, it was by no stretch easy, um, yeah. but um, I, I, I at least had a plan. I knew how to get up the rock, you know, but a CEO, there was never a time where there's like this big ledge and you just hang up, hang on. No, you just, you keep climbing the rock and it gets progressively harder, but you get progressively better at it, you know, so I think mm. that's the life of a CEO. And if you're not up for that life, you're, you're going to be, um, it'll be hard for you to maintain your edge and hard to maintain your edge over your competitors. Mm.
1: I love that metaphor too. Yeah. I'm going to use that, that uh, the idea of seeing a flat rock and then somebody saying something that's going to change being able to see it as all these little opportunities that can be bigger and bigger opportunities. That's right. awesome. Um, h- how did you end up, like what was the progression you built and sold this company? So what you're now like 26, 27. Like what did you start another company? Or did you go into you're building your business now? What was the progression to get to the place where you're now? Cause you own your own, you, you own a business, but you are coaching other people on their businesses and consulting or sorry, right. know, consulting.
0: Yeah. So at that time, so I started out, I started in, in my landscaping company in 1985. I, I went to a Tony Robbins seminar in 1990. Right. He was very well known now, not as well known then. He was still
1: Anthony. He was still Anthony. Yeah. As a matter of
0: fact, I, the reason why I knew of him was somebody I knew won the lottery and I was talking to my friend and they go, you know, I was looking, you know, I was looking into personal development. You know, anything about that? I'm like, no, but let me do some research. And this was in like 1988. And I said, well, this is a guy called Anthony Robbins. Seems like he's doing some cool stuff. And he went to, that's when Robbins was holding seminars at his house. So went to seminars at the guy's house. Wow. And then and then he put me on the list saying, you know I think you'd really like this have somebody from the company follow up. And so I went in 1990 I'm like really enjoyed it. But that's when I got into coaching That's when I under I started to learn about NLP and disc and you know Performance sciences and all that and I really fell in love with the idea of coaching people and um, And so I was a part-time coach My side hustle if there was such a thing back then was coaching And so all through the 90s, I was a part-time coach. I sold my company in 92, and then I started a a construction company. So real estate development, uh, home building, custom home building, that sort of thing. And so I had that business from 92 to 2004, and I, I was in the construction world because I grew up in it. It really was not my passion, but I knew it. Like both sides of the family were in it. My older brother had a contracting company. And when I went into landscaping, they were all like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you know, and then when I sold it and I got back into construction, they were like, see, took you a while, you know, (laughs) got your head, you know, screwed back on straight. Good. Let's go. You know, sort of thing. So I went into it and I was equally as miserable in that as I was in landscaping because it just really wasn't my thing. I didn't like it. Uh, It wasn't really my passion, but I really enjoyed the coaching side of things. And um, and so I hired a coach, a business coach. So I went through that process with him. Um, And I said, wait a minute. I've been a life and results coach to this point. I've now learned I now learn um, How to be a business coach. I want to combine the two so I said to him in 2002 I wanted to um, I said to him this guy Eric said Eric I want to do what you do and so he showed me the path, you know to get business mentoring certification so I did that and um, and then in 2000 in in 2002 I launched my coaching business full-time while i was selling my construction company so i sold my construction company in 04 and i've been doing the co- the coaching as a full-time your primary business since then
1: so cool and so how did you who did you start coaching and who do you coach now
0: so my my path was i said well look coaching was such a new industry at the time um but i, I probably would still take the same path what i did was i attached myself to other people's intellectual property. So I became certified NLP practitioner, certified disc gotcha. analysis. I was a certified Tony Robbins. I was a Tony Robbins coach. Um, oh, I wow. learned Ken Blanchard's situational leadership, Franklin Covey, time management planning, Dale Carnegie leadership. If there was a certification out there, wow. I got it. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. So, so when you see like the commercial that says, Hey, come here and we coach them and we, that was me. I was the guy Be I was the certified coach that they gotcha. would send you to, I had more email addresses than anybody. I was carl at everything.com because I was certified. And so that's what I did is I, now what, so that got me going. That got me, um, that got me a name as a coach with coaches, but not a name in the outside world because, you know, I coach right. all these people that to this day, I don't use the names because they weren't technically my clients, you know, right? Um, American Idol, Bachelor, bachelor reality show stars, uh, Olympic athletes, CEOs of Fortune 500 wow. companies. They w- came to the
1: company and then you were the coach under coach. that company that were from, gotcha. Yeah, when IBM oh, cool. was
0: restructured into, and they launched the business consulting service arm, I coached the guy who did that. You know, but he wasn't wow. like, he was someone else's right. client, right, as an example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was coaching all these folks under somebody else's name. So I built, my, I built a name and a reputation among other coaches, just not with the outside world. Mm. But what happened was at the time, I am so grateful for all of the programs that I learned under because they helped me get my start. But when they assigned me to somebody, they'd be like, well, go get them. Here's your client. And I'd said, cool with what? And they're like, you got this. And I'm like, I don't need cheerleading. I need a structure. I need a plan. I need a process. And, and they didn't have it. And so I'm sorry, um, who
1: are you talking about now? Who didn't have it?
0: all of, the, all of the, the gurus that I worked with at the time. Oh, they oh. had a home study course, they had a program, okay. but they didn't say, here's how you conduct a session. Here's okay. how you conduct an engagement. Here's how you build for your services. Here's how you manage multiple clients. Here's how you dig in for other opportunities. Yeah, they didn't give you the, the business plan to be your own coach. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. They just said somebody wants coaching on, you know, uh, the Franklin Covey time management system. And I would say, you know, the basic coaching principles haven't changed. Where are you now? Where do you want to go? How are we going to get there? So, but after saying that 5,000 times, I'm like, I think there's more here. And, and I, what I noticed was my re-enrollment rate was shit. Like I was coaching people for three to six months and then they were done. And then the company would come back to me and say, well, uh, you got really good marks. You know, they seem to accomplish what they asked for. Um, how about the next cycle of coaching? And I'm like, well, what do you want me to coach them on? They came for this reason we're done or they say they're done. And they're like, well, find something else. I'm like, well, how do I find something else? When I've been talking about one thing for six months, I thought it was your job to find something else. And then, but anyway, they, so they came back to me. And, um, so I not, not happy with what they had to offer as tools. I just started documenting everything I was doing. And so I said, all right, well, here's how I'm going to conduct this going forward. Here's how I'm going to do this. And so what I didn't realize was I was writing an entire coaching methodology. During this time, I said, I want to do this. I want to do this uh, full time. I participated in a global study on coaching, most depressing results ever financially, you would imagine. So I, I participate in this. I get, the, I get the study back and they said at the time there were 50,000 coaches in the world, they estimate 30,000 with credentials. The average part-time coach, the average coach makes $23,000 a year. And I was like, "Whoa!" yeah, exactly. I'm like, say that again. The joke we used to say back in the nineties was that coaches had to take a full-time job to feed their coaching addiction Mm. because they couldn't live, they couldn't live on it, Mm. you you know? And so I'm like, wait a minute, I want to, I live in Northern New Jersey, married kids house. I'm like, I don't care how economical I live. I'm not living on $23,000 a year, no shot. So uh, it's not much better now. Like the average full-time coach makes like $78,000 a year. So you're still not living on that. So I said, wait a minute, I've got to figure out a way that I can make a six-figure billing practice right out of the gate so I can live. Otherwise, I'm going to be doing construction for the rest of my life. And so I developed a couple of methodologies where I have these, these two wheels, these two diagnostic wheels. One uh, explores nine areas of your personal life. One is nine areas of your business and professional life. And I started using that with, with my clients that I was being handed. And I said, I said, yeah, you guys mind if I use this wheel? I said, you want me to re-enroll? We got to be talking about something besides, you know, Carl, I want to get over my stage fright. Carl, I want to get over this. I want to do that. I want to work out better. I want to lose some weight. So we need to be talking about other areas of their life and business. So what I learned was nine areas of personal, nine areas of professional, and you spend about one month on each area. So overnight I went from like the industry standard was three months was a life coaching engagement. Six months was a business coaching engagement. I went to almost 18 months overnight. And I said, whoa, I said, yeah, this is pretty cool. And so I then, so when I left working for those companies and I went out on my own, Everyone was like, well, how are you doing that? And being able to bill, because they knew I sold my company. I said, look, guys, I still got to work. I said, no, I'm, I'm billing six figures right out of the gate, charging $350 an hour. And this was in 2002. And everyone was like, how wow. are you doing that? And Yeah, so, so I started training uh, others on how to grow their practice. And we've trained somewhere in the neighborhood of 7,000 coaches over the years on how to have a practice and – you know, come right out of the gate with a, with, you know, a, a, a good six figure billing practice. So that really put me on the map with the outside world in 2002, because at one point I was the architect or the, or at least a contributor to three of the five largest coaching programs in the world at that time. So I helped create them and everyone's like, wow, you know, if we can market that people can have six figure coaching practices this early in the game. This is great, and then so we built a lot of private label coaching programs, and you know Wait, okay. we train them. Wait,
1: so okay. I need I need some clarification here. So sure. you went out, so you were working for all these different companies, then you went out on your own and started out of the gate with the six figure coaching, where you were coaching actual clients. Clients, yeah. And then you and then you soon after realized that you could also be training other coaches. So it's kind of like two parts of your business. And you said we, so did you also, we were hiring people to help coach the coaches. Is that
0: right? That's right. So yeah, sorry, I jumped on you a little bit. So that's okay. I'm just
1: very interested in the model and and kind of how it evolved. I think a lot of people don't know how you go from A to B to C.
0: Right. Sure. So, so I, in 2002, I got accredited with an organization called the Institute for Independent Business. And that was the same organization that my prior business coach was in. And he said, mm-hmm. Well, you may want to get accredited. So I said, Great, you know, it worked for you, it'll work for me. So I went to I went to England got accredited. And um, because of my background with Tony Robbins and Stephen Covey, and all these other coaching programs, the managing director, uh, Eric Lehman said, we need a mentoring program here. And I said, Well, I know how to put those together. You know, so he said, Look, if you meet certain criteria, you would you would qualify to put in a proposal to run the mentoring program. And it's a coaching and mentoring program, which, so I eventually did become the managing director of that in the United States, but then my program was adopted globally. They were in 35 countries. And so here's another confidence one for you. I was proposing a phone-based coaching program at the time and the global program was a in-person program. And so I met the, the, the founder of the company and he said, why would you, he goes, you can do whatever you want over there in the U.S. But why would you do uh, phone-based coaching when in, everyone knows in-person mentoring is better? And I was like, hmm, should have said that part. <laughs> but anyway, I said, well, I don't agree. I said, I've been doing phone-based coaching. I said, most of the clients I've worked with, I've never even seen a person. And, and I've been doing that for 12 years very successfully. And, um, and so there was a part of their program where when you came out and you were accredited, their call center gave you 10 appointments uh, with business owners who said they wanted to grow and the model was a first call close you would go in meet with them for two hours you would sell a thirty thousand dollar consulting package and you had to leave with you know the equivalent of a 20 percent retainer check right there on the spot and so that's how the mentoring program was judged on its success how many clients out of the first 10 did your mentoring program help these people get and so i we had a back of the napkin bet where I said, I bet you, the guy's name was Lyndon. I said, Lyndon, you give me a year and we'll compare results. If my program outperforms your program, I get the global program. If your program outperforms mine, I will give it to whoever's running your other, the guy in England, I'll give it to him. So, (laughs) so.
1: That's a gutsy.
0: (laughs) Right, so he said, "Um, are, are are you serious? I'm like, dead on. I said, you don't think it's gonna, I said, I already know how much better our program is going to outperform I already know where this is going so I'm happy to make the bet and so we made this back of the napkin bet literally and um, and so his program was the the standard was one out of ten come out of the gate you meet somebody blind for the first time you sit down with them one time and they write you a check and commit to thirty thousand dollars one out of ten was good go on thirty appointments you're billing you know, you're getting paid three to $5,000 a month. You're billing almost six figures with three clients. Our program did 3.71 out of 10. It wasn't even close, right? And so after one year, so I came back to Linden and I'm like, what do we got? And he's like, well, I'm not so convinced that, you know, that this is going to work and, you know, that our culture is right, you know, all this bullshit. So anyway, but what he did was he gave my pro- – he took the program, and he gave it to his other guy and said, run this program like this, and so and so, instead of honoring the deal he didn't
1: he, honor the deal
0: wait for it okay wait for <laughs> it. he didn't honor the deal at first he gave it to he gave it to the other practitioner and said i want you to incorporate phone based which wasn't fair to the guy because the guy had designed an in-person mentoring i yeah, didn't know it's he not his know. program yeah. yeah exactly and so it did not do very well that year it didn't perform where it, it didn't perform as expected it didn't perform as well as as ours did in the second year so i went back to him and the second year I'm like, all right. So I showed you in year 1, you tried it on your own in year 2. At what point are we going to are you going to honor your deal? And so that year he did, but I didn't get it. He said, "Well, I'm going to open up a bidding process for the global program," which at the end I I won. And that's how that's how I got the <laughs> that's how I got the IIB program and that's what really put me on the map globally because now So if you if you hear about mastermind programs, you know, hey, I'm running a mastermind. I've got this mentoring program. Well, most of those are based on the IIB mentoring program that I created in the early 2000s. So like the framework for those comes from that. So so that was kind of my contribution to the coaching and consulting community was I wrote what are some of the standards now in um, in the in the industry
1: that's amazing that's incredible so what does your business look like today like how is it broken up and and how how is your time broken up also
0: so since then i've i spend a lot of my time writing writing books articles Uh, i've written seven books on my own and i've helped other authors publish their book i'm the co-author with them i've done that another 10 or 12 times we spend most of our time as a consulting and coaching firm, maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment, but one of the things that always bothered me was that how few people actually act on the information they're given at seminars and webinars. You know, they take the home study course, you know, it, it, pro- it provides some relief in the moment. They, they act on it a little bit, but they don't really, they don't really act on it all the way. And so I saw a niche that could be fulfilled. And I said, you know what, we're not, we're not that company. If you want to become an Olympic athlete, you don't want to just lose five pounds, but you want to become like a high performance athlete, we're your team. And so we are a cross between a management consulting firm and business coaches where we'll help you create this differentiation, totally obnoxious plan, but then we'll stay with you and make sure you execute. So when you are at the edge of the plane and you're afraid of jumping, you're going because we're strapped to your back and we're going to make sure that you jump. Um, and so we, I spend the overwhelming majority of my time there. I really enjoy that. Um, so if anyone's trying to still figure out, like, what does that mean? If you've ever watched that show, The Profit with Marcus Limonis on CNBC. My favorite. That's what we do, basically. We don't always invest in the client, in the company. We do in some cases. Do? Um, but we are sometimes just the consultant, and sometimes we're the partner with them. So that's what we do today. And we we still do some training and certification. We're still the training arm behind other coaching companies, Okay. Um, the largest coaching peer-to-peer advisory franchise in the world. There's a few others that we're we're involved with, but uh, most of my time is spent speaking, writing, and coaching and consulting.
1: Because you're the face of this. You're the thought leader. You're the reason that people trust the company
0: well that was certainly in the beginning right?
1: but uh, okay but less I think so now because it's gotten so, so now. big yeah
0: when when I, it hit me about it was like 2012-13 i remember we had onboarded a bunch of clients in a row and when um i they were asked for referrals right references so i said oh yeah would you talk to so-and-so and most of the references for those people we were onboarding they would say oh we're doing the coral gould method right fast forward a year or two and those same people who were clients, I said, Hey, would you mind being a reference for somebody else? And they said, I'm happy to. And I could see in the emails, they said, Oh yeah, we're doing, we're doing the seven stage method. Mm. So that I could, right around that time, I think the method has become as desirable as anyone possibly working with me personally. And I'm, I'm, I look, I say to them, I'm, I said, listen, thank you. It's flattering that you want to work with me personally. I'm happy to be part of it. Um, however, I've got this this amazing team that are they're all subject matter experts. They've done it all. They've seen it all. You know, we have the nickname ridiculous resumes. Those, they're ridiculous resumes. You check that out and tell me you don't want to work with that person, and then fine, I'll be your coach. But um, I think we've done a good job of 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 talking about how accomplished the team is and why they want to work with the whole team.
1: That's really helpful to hear because it sounds like. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's like it did start on your authority. You did build obviously you have this incredible reputation and then built this business that is separate from you. And then over time, we're able to transfer that authority to the business so that people can come to um, your company, hire them, not work with you. So it it was able to evolve like that, because I think a lot of people are a lot of people start out with the idea that i don't want to be the face of my business because then people always want to work with me um however we both know that it's a lot easier to get trust and authority when there's a face in front and it's really much easier to build authority as a person than as a business that nobody's heard of but there is an ability for it to um, to shift how how important the person is versus the business, and it's it's almost like you you build up your personal authority, you lend that authority to the business, and then are are more easily able to build the authority of the business. Would you say that that's kind of the
0: the path that you
1: took that somebody yep. else could model?
0: I would drop one thing yeah. in step two. Yeah. Um, so I I actually advise make it all about you in the beginning. Okay. Because people want to know your story. They want to know how you got it. They want to be able to relate to you. They want to get behind you in some way. And again, you, you, meaning you, Pia, me, Carl, and everyone who's listening, you represent what your client wants to become. They become passionate about that. And that's when they overpay. Right. (laughs) And that's when they dive in. And it's not just about overpaying, but it's about them buying. It's about them saying, if Carl can do it, I can do it. If Pia can do it, I can do it. You know what? I'm scared shitless, but it sounds like she was too, and she figured it out. I'm gonna hitch my wagon to her, at least for now, and let's just see, you know, once we get going, we'll see where it goes. But then, what's critically important is you have to establish what are the guiding principles, pillars, keys, tricks, hacks, whatever you wanna call it, that you are guiding. So it goes, build your personal brand, build the pillars on which your methodology is built, then flip to the methodology and company comes last. Mm. So that's it. so I people ask me this all the time. They're like, oh well I can't sell my business if it's got my name on it. Yeah, like Porsche couldn't sell tomorrow. Like Ford couldn't sell tomorrow. They all did it. <laughs> right? right? But it's it started out as Henry Ford. We still quote him today, but then it became about his assembly line. You know, he came up with the two day weekend. If that was all him. We used to have a one day weekend, you know, and but people weren't buying cars. So he started giving his employees two days off on the weekend so they can go buy more cars. And now it's, and now it's our standard. So it was Henry then it was Henry's principles. Then it, it, was, it was his method, you know, the assembly line. Then it was the company. So if you go in that order, you can absolutely build a celebrity company and then sell it. Absolutely. No question about it. Orange theory. Perfect example, Ellen Latham, Ellen Latham's method, Ellen Latham's company, and now it's franchise. Perfect example.
1: That's so good, that's so good. Hey, Carl, all of this is so good. My listeners are not, for the most part, are not um, CEOs of Marcus Lemonis type of investable companies. <laughs> uh, uh, do, do your coaches work with with like smaller entrepreneurs? Like
0: we do, like, yeah. Yeah, we've we've launched, we've mentored the launch of over five thousand businesses. So oh, we, wow. we, we work with small companies all the time. The way we have a number of programs that just you can fit depending on what size company you're at. And, and mm. we have a variety of modalities, one-on-one, one-on-group, in-person. So we have a whole bunch of deliveries and anyone who wants to grow, you know, um, and wants to get there, we have, we have a way that we can work together.
1: Love it. And when is Obnoxious Offers the book coming out? I'm so excited to hear that.
0: Yeah, that'll, that'll be this year for sure. It's uh, most of the way done. I uh, just did some cover graphics and all that. So, yeah, so we're excited. We're about two thirds of the way here. So I would say summer. We're okay, cool. Summer. Well, we'll
1: have to have you back when you launch it to promote it and share it with the crew. Because I just love the the whole concept. I'm I'm so on board with it. Um, the story is great. And I so appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Carl, it's been amazing. Well, thanks for having me. This was great. I think you'd agree that Carl's energy is infectious. And if you want more info on his coaching, you can go check him out at carlgold.com backslash seven, the number seven, Stage Growth Academy. I will link to that in the show notes at psilva.com backslash podcast. And if you loved this episode, please share it with a friend or post it on your Instagram stories or your Facebook profile. Share it somewhere and make sure that you never miss an episode of Show Your Business Who's Boss by hitting the subscribe button. And since we're on the topic of coaching, if you are dying for some higher level coaching and you'd like some from me for free, listen up. I've started a new series where I'm going to be answering questions from you, the listeners. And if I choose your question, I'm going to invite you to schedule a free 15-minute chat with me where I can just help you get unstuck in your brand or your business. So this is what you have to do. All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts, include your question, and if I pick yours, I will invite you to chat. It's that easy. So I look forward to hearing from you. Taking inspiration from Carl today... What is the obnoxious offer that you've been too scared to make to your clients? What are they sick of and how can you fix it and charge more in the process? If you can put your money where your mouth is and make shit happen, you can charge a lot more for your services and get better clients in the process. Ugh, I love that story of the client chewing Carl out and then signing the contract. That is so badass. Do you have the guts to try? That would be an awesome next step to showing your business whose boss. Show Your Business Whose Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafeld. Production assistance by Kristen Runvik. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners.